Hello and welcome to the Deep Track Podcast, an exploration of watches, trends, and culture with a few adventures along the way. I'm your host, Blake Bettner. This is a special episode today being brought to you between the usual Tuesday releases, uh, and this one is really just a reaction uh, and discussion around some of the watches that are being released at the moment as I record this for LVMH Watch Week. I'm seeing some really cool watches coming out of LVMH Watch Week, uh, and I wanted to get some thoughts out there uh, before I jump into some new episodes with, uh, with some additional guests. First off, a huge thank you to everyone who's made time to listen to the podcast so far. Uh, the reaction to, to the first handful of episodes has really just been incredible, and uh, a huge credit to all the guests that I've had on uh, there. It's been a huge treat to talk to each and every one of them. Uh, we have a lot more great guests on the horizon, so uh, make sure you keep an eye out uh, on your feed or subscribe or however you pay attention uh, to your podcast. Uh, and a reminder that the Deep Track is reader and listener supported, so I'll leave a link to our Patreon down below. Uh, okay, first off, I guess we can get into a wrist check first. I'm wearing, uh, I'm wearing an Omega Seamaster Ploprof. This is a watch that I am currently working on a review for at the moment, uh, and there will be a video uh, component to that as well. Uh, if you missed, our YouTube channel did launch last week uh, along with the uh, Rolex Daytona 126 uh, 500 review. Uh, so go check that out if you haven't seen it and subscribe if you feel like it. There will be more videos coming soon and coming weekly, uh, and the next one will be of this very Ploprof. This will be, I don't know, maybe slightly more of a conceptual type <laughs> review. It's a uh, it's a watch that you know, lives outside the bounds of the usual kind of practical tool watch uh, rules. So, um, so, anyways, if it's a watch that you're interested and care about, uh, you can keep an eye out for that coming soon. All right, let's jump into it with. Uh, with what might be my favorite watch release of LVMH Watch Week, and that is from Zenith. Uh, this is a new Chronomaster original uh, with a full calendar uh, complication uh, there, which I think is, is works really well here uh, with this watch. It's, of course, taking uh, from a concept that was designed alongside the original A386 in 1969 uh, that never came to fruition as such. Uh, however, we have seen full calendar El Primero watches uh, chronographs uh, over the past 20 years, uh, but never quite like this. Uh, and this one, I think, works tremendously well. Uh, they nailed the look of this, and they didn't really compromise what makes the Chronomaster original so great in the first place. Uh, it's still 38 millimeters in diameter. It's 13 millimeters thick, um, you know, around 46 millimeters from lug to lug. Uh, overall, this should still kind of have all the same charm on the wrist as the uh, chronograph, as the regular chronograph um, chronomaster original. Uh, however, this one uh, does get the full calendar, which I think works really well here. And I like how they've approached it. I like how they've executed this uh, a lot. They've added the month uh, above the uh, the second totalizer uh, there, the second totalizer of the timing. Uh, you remember this is a tenth of a second um, uh, chronograph. So, uh, so it's not the usual totalizer layout that we're used to seeing. When you start the chronograph, uh, the timing seconds that is parked at 12 o'clock kicks into action and makes a full loop of the dial, uh, in 10 seconds rather than the usual 60 seconds. So, um, with each second that goes by, that is marked on the seconds totalizer, and then that rolls into the minutes totalizer down at the bottom. Uh, so the month is placed above that seconds totalizer, and then the day is placed above the running seconds over at 9 o'clock. 
And these are very simple stepped apertures down to uh, down to the wheels here, which works really well. It's very it's a very straightforward design. It doesn't really interfere with uh, with the timing um, legibility of this watch, or, or even reading the time for that for that matter. Uh, of course, the date is still there at uh, at four thirty, as it always has been, or usually is with uh, with El Primero chronographs. Uh, and then the moon face has been inserted into the minute totalizer. Uh, not only does it look very pretty, um, but it seems uh, to be a very practical implementation of a full calendar. Uh, so, and one thing that I want to note here is uh, the subdials do not overlap here, uh, which I think helps this watch. Uh, uh, helps the legibility of this watch quite a bit, uh, actually, with the additional uh, windows and information that's being displayed here. I think the tension of the overlapping and tricolor uh, subdials would have, um, you know, maybe been a bit much. Maybe pushed everything over the top uh, just a bit here. So, so all the subdials are the same color, and uh, and they don't overlap. Each subdial has their own space uh, to, to to breathe here. So I think legibility still works really well uh, on this watch. And uh, and there are there are three different dial colors here on launch. There's kind of a silver white with black subdials and a slate gray with white subdials, and then a boutique only uh, kind of a deep green uh, version of it as well with white subdials that uh, that is quite lovely. And uh, and by the way, I think when 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 they say boutique only. Uh, the online um, store uh, is included in that. So, you know, uh, these, these are watches that you can just hop on to, to zenith.com and put in your cart and, and buy like that if you're so inclined. So, um, you know, these, these still have a modified El Primero. Uh, this is uh, adding a calendar uh, module uh, to the 3160. So, uh, so it's still uh, uh, high beat, uh, 5 hertz uh, chronograph movement. Uh, they're necessitated for the... Um, uh, f for the tenth of a second chronograph, so I think this watch works just really beautifully. The only one thing that uh, that I may be on the fence about is the gilt details in the hour markers and the hands, uh, which was not the case on the original concept. Um, as I've seen it imaged at least. Uh, but that's just in pictures. I hope to go hands-on with this watch relatively soon and bring you a full review in the coming weeks. So keep an eye out for that. Uh, it's not an annual calendar or perpetual calendar or anything like that. Uh, you, you, you have to make all the adjustments that you, you normally would uh, through some buttons along the case wall, uh, along, the, uh, along the 9 o'clock side of the case wall. There, but uh, overall, and that also, by the way, I think keeps you know obviously the price in, into relatively reasonable uh, ter territory, more or less. Uh, on bracelet, this watch is thirteen thousand nine hundred dollars, and on a leather strap, uh, it is thirteen thousand four hundred dollars. Uh, and by the way, uh, just a heads up. Um, Zenith's head of heritage, uh, Lawrence Bodenman, will be joining me on the podcast in uh, a couple of weeks here. So uh, we will be discussing likely this watch, uh, the history of a few Zenith watches and, uh, and how that's got them to where they are today. So uh, if you have any questions or you have anything that you would like to hear us talk about, uh, feel free to hit me up uh, at uh, info at the D -track .com. 
or Blake at thedeepjack.com or find me on Instagram or, or wherever you would like to. Um, so that will be coming in just a couple of weeks. Uh, that's not the only release that I like from from Zenith, uh, though they, uh, the Chronomaster Sport range also got a couple of new models. You might remember a few months back they released a, a green-on-green Chronomaster Sport with uh, Arabic numeral hour markers for uh, an Aaron Rodgers collaboration. Uh, who is a spokesperson for uh, Zenith uh, or an ambassador, whatever you want to call them. Uh, so they, they've released uh, another green on green, but this time with just the standard uh, bar hour markers there. So uh, if you like the green, uh, boy, there's a lot of green so far this year. Uh, that's not the first time we'll be talking about green uh, here in this episode. Uh, but that's not the one that I want to talk about. There's a different one. There's a, a gem set one, uh, which is... <laughs> Quite stunning. It's it's ninety eight thousand dollars, uh, ninety eight thousand six hundred dollars, uh, and it has a gold meteorite dial and then a tricolor uh, gem set bezel uh, that matches the colors of each of the sub dials. Uh, and this is uh, this one. I don't boy. I don't know. I'm, I'm not a huge precious metal guy or anything, but when when they go, they go hard. And this one goes pretty well, I think. Uh, so the the bezel matching. Uh, the three different colors of the subdials is something that we have seen in the Chronomaster Sport before, uh, with again another boutique uh, edition there, and then I think that one worked really well. And they actually made three different bezels uh, of the three different colors, cut them, and then used the, and then put the adhered the three different pieces together, and then put it in the insert uh, there. So it's it's a similar type of situation here, uh, but done with. Uh, with stones, uh, I guess. So I, I am not a an expert on on gems, jewelry, or anything like that. Uh, but it certainly looks lovely to to my eyes. So uh, you know, if if uh, if I was in a cost no object type situation, this is one that uh, that might have my eye a little bit more. And the hour markers themselves are baguettes, uh, as as you might expect. So um, hats off to Zenith here for some really cool releases uh, at LVMH Watch Week. Has me very curious uh, about what we'll see in Watches and Wonders uh, in Geneva here in April, uh, which I will be there for, so you can keep an eye out for live coverage uh, on uh, on all the channels that I publish to. So. Uh, okay, let's move over to Hublot, uh, who, who released quite a few new uh, watches uh, during LVMH Watch Week, uh, including a pretty crazy MP10 tourbillon weight energy system uh, titanium uh, that is, uh, well, it's pretty wild, uh, actually. It's very difficult to to describe, but uh, it uses these weights that go up and down on the sides, uh, and then it has a, kind of a, these roller rocker versions of the hours and minutes uh, that roll. Boy, I'm probably doing a terrible job <laughs> describing this. Uh, it's kind of these barrels that roll to display the time on the top under this kind of big, massive piece of sapphire uh, within this kind of tube of titanium. Uh, really crazy-looking watch, and uh, the MP watches from uh, from Hilo have, have have always been that way. So it's just kind of cool to see them playing. Um, uh, you know, bringing some new ideas to life like this. Uh, but this isn't the watch that I want to talk about. Uh, they they have a new Saxum uh, watch. Uh, it's a green, a bright green, uh, big bang uh, Unico that is made in their green Saxum material. Of course, Saxum is something that we've seen used quite a bit from Hublot. And, you know, whatever your thoughts on, on Hublot, um, I really like how they 
push for they, they they're really kind of looking and moving in one direction and, and sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't but everything that they do everything that they do seems to be kind of moving towards um innovation and uh, and really kind of trying to push the boundaries there and saxum is a good example of that and it's it's not entirely dissimilar to uh to sapphire uh but it's its own thing and uh it can be colored unlike uh, sapphire so it's kind of what makes this unique and we've seen a few different colors of this saxum uh, from hiblo we've even seen green uh b- before in the spirit of big bang uh as as well as one of the uh, a different one of the mp uh watches as well so uh, i think it works really well here it's um it's uh, it's it's like aluminum oxide with with rare earth minerals, um, and while sapphire has like a it's like a three sided structure on a molecular level, saxum is a is four sided, uh, so it's it it looks really incredible in in person the saxum stuff. So I, I like seeing them use it here, and it looks really well. Uh, it look it works really well on the uh, with the black dial components uh, here that they've got open worked into the uh, the Unico. A chronograph movement here. Yeah, you know, it's not a watch that I you know look at and say, oh, I'd like to own that and wear it around. But it's a watch that I look at and appreciate, and it kind of brings a smile to my face. And it's, uh, you know, it's one of those things that is an experience, maybe uh, in a very different way, but in a similar manner to the the Ploprof that I was just talking about. Uh, you know, it might not be the most practical thing in the world, but uh, uh, but but it offers a really incredible experience, and it says something about kind of pushing ahead. Uh, and pushing forward with materials, with innovation, with creativity. And I think more brands need to be doing that and taking risks like this, even if they don't end up ultimately working out. Um, yeah, I think one of my, my concerns uh, about the whole kind of throwback trend uh, is that it leads to something of a dead end. Uh, you know, I think this, it's kind of like nowhere to go. You're kind of digging yourself into that hole, uh, and then you keep iterating on the same kind of old things. And you know, which, which works for some brands, or they just slowly iterate and evolve, and, and, and that's fine. But I think some brands really have to be pushing ahead for a new generation. And, uh, and, and that stuff ends up kind of trickling down into kind of smaller microbrand watches and smaller brands doing more creative things. Uh, you know, this has certainly happened in the past with Hublot, and now you look at brands like Formex uh, and, and a bunch of other kind of small microbrands using you know, things like carbon and getting creative with, with their case architecture and things like that. Uh, you know, I, I think this needs to be happening on, on some level up and down in the industry. So uh, to see Hublot working with materials like this still, uh, I think is a very good thing, uh, again, regardless of your feelings on Hublot as a brand. Uh, you know, they, they're, they're, they're putting R&D money into just developing just straight up new new materials to get the look uh, that they want for this kind of stuff. So, you know, is this something that will end up kind of trickling down in more accessible watches and approachable watches? Maybe, uh, you know, maybe it will inspire other smaller brands to look for other more cost-effective ways to do something similar. Um, I don't know, not that I want other brands copying you <laughs> blow by, uh, uh, by, by any stretch, but, uh, but I think that it's just showing that, you know, you can think in these ways about how you're developing these watches um, is is an inspiring thing and something that I like seeing. So uh, hats off to Hublot here for uh, for for continuing to kind of pour gas on the Saxum uh, as a material here. And I think it works really well. Uh, and boy, again, I don't know if I could pull this thing off, but uh, I'd sure try. And shout out to my friend um, Zach Kazan here. I know he's a big fan of, of, of these things as well. 
Um, all right, so moving on to uh, Tag Hoyer. Uh, this is a, um, actually, before we do Tag Hoyer, let's talk just quickly about a new Bulgari. Uh, this is a, a new Octo Finissimo in yellow gold with a dark blue dial that, you know, I think works really well. Um, I'm trying to get my hands on one of the titanium Octo Finissimos. I'd love to spend some time wearing it on the wrist. I've always been concerned that uh, the flat square shape of this watch might be a little awkward to wear like day in, day out. Uh, but I, that's, that's just what it looks like to me, uh, not having spent much time with them. Um, so again, you know, hopefully we'll get, uh, we'll get one of these in and be able to spend a little more time, some quality time with it and be able to make a proper assessment of that. Uh, all right, let's go over to Tag Heuer. Uh, finally, they have a new uh, Carrera, uh, the 39 millimeter glass box uh, with the, the Dato uh, layout, which, uh, which is really just their, their Carrera date um, uh, layout that came in the, uh, the late 60s. Well, the first date uh, uh, application on the Carrera, I think, was up at uh, 12 o'clock, um, and then they pushed it over with just a single minute totalizer over at uh, 3 o'clock, and then a date aperture over at 9 o'clock. Kind of an unusual layout, uh, but it works here. The Carrera, of course, as a base is a very kind of handsome, classic structure and design. Uh, so it works really well in the confines of that. And this works really well in the confines of the new design language of the of this 39mm uh, glass box Carrera that we saw introduced last year uh, that has a highly dimensional dial with kind of a, a sloping structure around the, the, the perimeter uh, that kind of breaks it into a couple of sections with the minute track kind of on one side and then a, a slope inward on the other side that the hour markers are nested into. Uh, so I love seeing this layout here brought into to, uh, brought into the new Carrera design, especially at this at this size. It works really well. It's a beautiful teal green color, again, with the green uh, here. I think this watch works really well. Uh, and this, of course, uses their, uh, their in-house chronograph movement, TH20-07. Uh, it's 13.8 uh, millimeters thick, but again, a lot of that is that kind of heavily domed box sapphire uh, crystal. Um, and for what it's worth, it gets 80 hours of power reserve, which is pretty awesome. It's a column wheel, uh, vertical clutch chronograph, and uh, it's 6500 bucks. So relatively reasonable uh, value there for everything that you're getting. Uh, but most importantly, it's just a sharp looking watch. Uh, now, my, my first move would be taking that black uh, kind of alligator-ish uh, strap off of it and putting something a little more appropriate on. I'd love to see Tag Heuer do more things with their strap and bracelet game. Maybe make a unique mesh bracelet for something like this or or some, some gray fabric straps I think would work really well for, for things like this. I, as a whole, I'm really surprised that the industry hasn't um, taken more care to offer a wider range of, of straps for their watches. You know, I walk into like an Apple store or something like that. You see just hundreds of different colors and styles of, of straps for, for just the Apple Watch. And I feel like a lot of the people that are really into their Apple Watch have tons of them. And, you know, I think people that are spending, you know, four, five, six, ten, twenty thousand dollars $20,000 on their watch would buy every single version of a custom strap made for their watch by the OEM. You know, I see, you know, Tudor doing stuff like their, their Velcro straps. You know, I'm surprised that there's not a ton of different colorways of those for, for, for the FXDs. And it's the same with a lot of brands. I see a lot of brands kind of rushing to put maybe sometimes even proprietary quick release type of situations so you can swap out different straps, but then not really giving us the volume of straps that I would like to see from these brands. Uh, there, I think Omega does a pretty good job of this. If you go on a product page, you can kind of scroll through 
a, you know, a dozen or more different straps and what it would look like on the watch, which is really great. Uh, and then order it right alongside uh, the watch. Those might be a little bit on the pricier end, but... You know, I, I think there's an opportunity here for brands to kind of exercise more creativity with their strap game. Um, so, so maybe not traditional straps, tang and buckle, NATO type stuff, uh, but maybe entirely new systems. Uh, like, again, we've seen Apple do uh, with the Apple Watch Ultra. I mean, they've developed a couple of new uh, concepts uh, for, for their straps. And, you know, that's a whatever, $500 uh, watch. Yeah, I, I think brands would be would be well served to uh, to exercise a little more creativity in these realms. Um, all right, so those are the few watches that have caught my eye from LVMH Watch Week. And this is just a taste uh, again, and hopefully I'll be getting some uh, hands-on time with a few of these watches in the coming weeks. So keep an eye out for that, and we'll do some video content around them as necessary. Uh, watches and Wonders is coming up in early April. Uh, I will be in Switzerland in Geneva for the week, uh, seeing a meeting with with many of the brands and uh, seeing as many of the new watches as I can. Uh, so maybe a good time to get subscribed to the YouTube channel and uh, and and book the start, bookmark the site. However you do it, um, you know, would love to have you around for for all the coverage, and I'd love to hear your thoughts on all the new releases as they come in. Uh, I'd love to hear your thoughts on these uh, new releases from LMMH Watch Week as well. All right, that'll do it for this special episode. I really appreciate you tuning in. Uh, we will be back to regularly scheduled programming on Tuesday uh, with guest Brian Friedman, and we'll be talking about um, cocktails, wine cocktails, mixing cocktails, uh, alcohol industry uh, pairings, and, and stuff like that. We'll be talking about all that kind of stuff, and he's a big watch guy too, so I'm sure we'll be talking uh, plenty about watches as well. You can tune into that on Tuesday. Uh, all right, thanks so much for tuning in. Until next time, take care.